But we're starting out the new year right with the very first chapter, the very first gospel ever written, Mark chapter 1. Let's share in God's good word together. At this time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. The moment he came out of the water, he saw the sky split open and God's spirit, looking like a dove, come down on him. Along with the spirit, a voice, you are my son, chosen and marked by my love, pride of my life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. An outward and visible sign of an inward and visible spiritual reality. This is what we believe about baptism. It is God's act through the church for you and for every person on the planet. It is God's act through the church to claim and to bless and to name. And this Jesus does this in unexpected ways. At the very beginning of his ministry, he does the unexpected. And over the next month of the month of January, we hope you'll read through the Gospel of Mark with us and you'll see Jesus. He'll show up in places and everybody thinks he's going to do one thing and then something else happens. Time and time and time again. And it even happens at his baptism at the beginning. Um, one of my colleagues down at my home church at Highland Park United Methodist Church in Dallas, um, Hannah Buchanan, when she preaches, she says this. She says, if you are not regularly experiencing a full range of emotions when it comes to Jesus, then your Jesus has probably been tidied up and put into a box. Maybe even a pretty Christmas box. If you only feel warm and fuzzy and happy when you think of Jesus, then you probably haven't been reading some of what Jesus taught and said. If you don't feel surprised or angry or confused, then your Jesus has probably been tamed and domesticated into a version that you can handle. If you don't feel anything about Jesus, and that's easy to do over a long time that you've known Jesus, you can just stop feeling. You maybe have said that some of them, just not feeling it these days. That's when we know that our Jesus has fallen into this tame, tidy box. Now, if you are reading and interacting with and having a real relationship with the Jesus of the Gospels, he will surprise you over and over and over again. He will both affirm you and offend you. Jesus cannot be tamed. Will you say that with me? Jesus cannot be tamed. No, no. You see, the real Jesus enters a situation and does the unexpected. Isn't that true? And those of you who have walked with him a long time, you're like, yeah, I thought I was going to do this with my life, and now I'm doing this with my life. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Jesus is the unexpected Savior of the world. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. We're going to try to dig into this a little deeper this morning quickly. Um, And hopefully, about 30 minutes, you're going to get an entire seminary's worth of education on baptism. We'll call it Cliff Notes or Mark's Notes. It's in your sermon notes. Let's just get started, okay? So the problem is that we often see what we expect to see. Isn't that true? That we expect to see what we expect to see, and we'll see that even if it's something different. 
Um, when I was growing up in my dad's churches, he would often use this. He was, had a psychology um, undergrad, and he would show this. Now, how many of you all see an old woman? Anybody see the old woman? How many of you all see a young woman? How many of you see both women? All right, so you've got it. These are either lips or some kind of cute little necklace, depending on which one you see. Are we all there? Because otherwise it's going to bug you later. Okay? Right? You see what you expect to see. Isn't that true? And, and not only that, but we expect to see what we've seen before. So whichever one you saw first or whichever one sort of went in your mind, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, there she is again. Because you've seen it before. And this is the way it is with our faith. We expect to see what we expect to see, and then we expect to see what we've seen before. Isn't that right? But now here was a new one for me. Uh, this one's a little tougher. Um, any of y'all see the old farmer? Yeah, got that. How many of y'all see the buff rodeo guy? You see, see? Again, the whole, the whole lip uh, bandana thing here uh, depends on which way it is. And if you need to, I'll show you later this afternoon. You can come back. <laughs> we'll work on it together. Okay? But if we're not careful, we will leave Jesus wrapped up. We will only see Jesus, um, you know, as that great theological work, Talladega says, um, as an eight-pound, you know, whatever ounce baby Jesus in his golden fleece diapers. And we just cannot leave him there. And it's not faithful to the Gospels. That's not who Jesus is. Right? Now, this one's a little tougher, so you're going to have to work with me. I want you to get ready to really work with me on this one. Because we, we do see Jesus, but he comes to us in unexpected ways. Do you all see Jesus there? Now, you have to really work at this. I want you to focus right here for at least the next 30 seconds. Don't look away. Don't do anything else. Focus right here. Really look at those dots and hang in there. It's going to be kind of awkward and long, until, but I want you to stay focused right here in the center of the picture. All right? Have you started to see Jesus yet? Yeah, you're starting to see him there? Keep, hang in. I know your eyes are getting sleepy, but, but hang in there anyway. I'm, I'm really hoping that you'll see Jesus in a new way here in about 10. Hang in there. 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3. Some of you are asleep. 2, 1. Do you see Jesus? Did he come to you? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. How about that? You can't get that just every place. Yeah. I've seen Jesus today. He just came to me. Yes. Now, see, the thing is, in Jesus' baptism, Mark introduces his writing as something different, something that we don't have much experience with. It's something called the gospel. Say the gospel with me. The gospel. Now, the gospel is good news. That's what it says in the, in the gospel, the good news of, of Mark. The beginning of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, in, in our... In our government system, we don't have a lot of these. Um, but a gospel is an official proclamation to the people affecting everyone. So if there was a gospel from Rome, it meant that this is the new law of the land. This is what's going to happen. Um, and it affected everyone. Um, and as a democracy and uh, the way our government works, we don't get a lot of these. Uh, except if you live in Oklahoma in the springtime, you do. And they come from Mike Morgan or Tornado Pain, Right? <laughs> And they say, right, a tornado warning has been issued for Oklahoma County. 
And that affects everyone. And I hope it affects your next actions uh, like it does me. We go outside and we go, really, where? I mean, that's what it is to be a native Oklahoman. But then we're supposed to take shelter, right? It is a proclamation, an official proclamation of the case that affects everyone. Um, Rowan Williams says it like this. It is a message about something that alters the climate in which people live, changing the politics and the possibilities. It transforms the landscape of social life. So when Mark has the audacity to say, this is a proclamation that affects the entire world, that first line changes everything. It's gospel, it's proclamation, and it's good news. The gospel is what? Say it with me. Good news for all people. Good news of great joy for all people. That's what the angel said. Now, in any great story, you have a number of scenes. And I want you to think about... Uh, Jesus as the first of the great hero stories. Um, I love hero stories. I'm a superhero story guy. Uh, went to see Aquaman over break. Um, but there's lots and lots of hero stories. And if you think about a hero story, they all start up with a prophecy, right? One day, a hero is going to be you know, brought up to help us in a time of great need. That's the way prophecies go. And that's what happens in Mark 1, verses 2 through 5. It says, as it is written, the prophet Isaiah... Now, who's the prophet Isaiah? lived 750 years earlier, right? So this is a long prophecy. You think about our country being less than 300 years old. This is more than twice that. And they've been talking and looking for this Messiah for that whole time. Then the prophet says, see, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance, which means to turn your life towards God for the forgiveness of sins, to be made right with God. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem, the major city, were going out to John the Baptist and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins, being made right with God. Now, it's hard for us to get the geography on our heads. So uh, the map is this. Jerusalem's down here. The Jordan River is over here. And Jesus is going to be all the way up here. So that's, that's what's going on. People from outside Jerusalem... All around here, we're traveling over to John. Now, John more than likely lived down here as an Essene um, where we find the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so somewhere between Nazareth and south of Jerusalem, um, Jesus and John are going to meet. Scholars have argued about where that is for quite some time. So outside Jerusalem in the desert, people came to confess their sins and be baptized in the Jordan River. Now, up until the time of Jesus, baptism happened over and over again for the Essene community daily, three times a day. There were these mikvahs, you'd go down, you'd come up, and you'd be made clean. Um, you would have to be made clean as a part of public safety, public health, as well as religious life. So if you worked with a dead animal or something with blood, if you cut meat, any of those sorts of things, you would need to be baptized, ritually cleansed, because otherwise you would carry disease into your community. Does this make sense? There's no separation of church and state. They didn't know about germs. All they knew is they stayed alive when everybody else was dying because of the ritual cleansing. So you can go to the Jordan River today. Chantel and I have been twice. Um, you can see it's not a lovely river. Um, it's kind of gross. And, and sometimes people take a little bit and they want to be baptized with it, which I'm like, that's great. I hope you don't catch something because it's, I mean, it's really murky. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's not the cleanest of rivers. It's not Lake Tenkiller if you're from around here. Okay. But there's great power in that river even today. The first time we went, we saw a young girl uh, being baptized along with her family. And you could tell it was just the most powerful moment. It was really moving to us. 
But before you get to the river, um, as, as the map will show you, you have this Judean desert all along here. And that is some of the harshest places in the world. It, it looks like this. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm taking that from the top of the mountain. Um, and it's, I mean, it's a dangerous place. Only camels and some donkeys can live out there. You can see it's rocks everywhere. No wonder the shepherds had such a time tending their flocks. There's hardly any grass. You would go wherever you could find a, a single blade of grass and try to keep your flocks alive. But you can, you can go up there. It is a wild ride. Um, some of the folks in our church uh, went with us. Uh, Richard, do you see yourself? There you are. Uh, there's Jeff. You're looking good there, Jeff. See yourself there? Uh, we rode these Jeeps up the way. It's a smooth ride, just like around town. No, it's not. Uh, not at all. Um, but you can, you can go all the way up there into the Judean desert. It's a very uh, desolate place. And, and what happens is in Mark... John says this, the one who is more powerful than I, he's not pointing at himself, he says, the one more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've never thought about this, I want you to think about this for a minute. If you are a baptized person, you know what Jesus says about you? That you have more power available to you than even John the Baptist. If you've been baptized, everyone who comes after John the Baptist and receives the Holy Spirit of God is greater than the greatest prophet. That's what Jesus says in Luke and in Matthew both. Think about the power that's available to you today to live in God's power and God's promises that is even greater than was available before Jesus' baptism, which is what we celebrate today. What's available to you and what Jesus received at his baptism. John promises a greater baptism to come with the Holy Spirit. And, of course, that's why we named the church Acts 2, because that's what gives life to the church, the very Spirit of God living in and through us to a broken world. So that's the first scene, the prophet. The second scene is the prophecy becomes fulfilled and the hero is identified. There's, there's that moment in every movie where the hero has to step up and say, ta-da, here I am. And people begin to know, oh, this is the person. This is the one. And Jesus chose a baptism he did not need, friends. Jesus has no sin in him at all. He didn't need to be baptized. And he chooses it by a person with less power, not more. Now, most people, when you're identified, if you're like a knight and you want to be knighted, it's the king with the power that gives you your power. Jesus turned that on its head. If you were going to have a hero that that goes out into the world, you would expect him to go uh, to Rome or to the temple, not his cousin in the wilderness who eats bugs and honey the scripture says. And so in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So notice that Jesus, who's been in the carpentry shop for 30 years, makes his way all the way down somewhere along here, probably close to here, because remember the scripture says that the people all around Jerusalem were coming to John. And so it makes sense that more than likely it's it's closer to the southern side than the northern side. And after 30 years in Nazareth, Jesus was at that moment of decision. Have you all ever had that moment of decision where you know, if you do this, your life's going to go this way. If you do that, your life's going to go another way. I knew that the, the very moment I saw Chantel for the first time. I knew that if I were to hang out with her, I would flunk out of school. <laughs> she would say, let's go do this. I'd be like, okay. So I went the other way for like three years. Like, oh, and then, sure enough, it was, I was right. As soon as we got engaged, my life took a whole other 
case, you, you could argue for sure that I wouldn't be in ministry today if it weren't for her. She was the one that confirmed my call and, and said, yes, that's what you need to do. We have these moments of decision, and for some of you today, it might be today that you need to decide for the first time or again that you, you really do need to start your life with God over. William Barclay says it like this, the undecided life is the wasted life, the frustrated life, the tragic life. I suppose I might not be the only person who's had the terrible conversation over break of where are we going to eat tonight? <laughs> Two hours later, you're still arguing about where are you going to eat tonight? The wasted life, the tragic life. <laughs> now, that's just a little thing, but isn't that true? Until you make the commitment. I mean, so many people want tips and tricks on marriage. Commit! And then other things come in line. Now, that's not to say that there are, some folks have much bigger challenges than others, of course. Of course. But when it comes to our jobs and our vocations and our relationships and our children, we have to commit. And then things come into line, not before. I mean, you really want to be in relation with somebody who's always hedging their bets about whether you're good for them each and every day? Well, you're kind of off on Tuesdays. I'm just going to be married to you, you know, six days a week because Tuesdays are rough. So I want to remember this. Let's get back to the baptism part. And that is this, that Jesus did not need to repent. We needed a Savior. This is why he's baptized, to take that first step of decision to live into his commitment to us, to the world. And so the scripture says it like this. Jesus commits, and what happens next? God shows up. And just as he was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him, and a voice came from heaven, God's voice. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Now, if, if you study this in different texts or in different translations, you'll know that the word for beloved is also the word for chosen, This is my son, the one I have chosen to save the world. It refers to an act of will rather than a feeling. So when we hear the word beloved, it's not that God's in heaven going, oh, yeah, I really like him. He's super cool. No. He's like, this is him. And and in a different gospel, it says, listen to him. Listen to him. So when the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus, Jesus became what? Equipped. He received power he didn't have before. So if you look at all the Gospels, you'll notice that there's no miracles, there's no teaching, there's nothing that happens in Jesus' life before this moment. It is this quintessential moment that changes everything. And then you go to scene three. He's identified, he's been prophesied about, and then comes the test. And this is true in every great hero story. The scripture says, and the spirit, the exact same spirit that fell on him now drives him to the wilderness, that same terrible wilderness that we just saw. He was in the wilderness for 40 days. And what we're supposed to know is that 40 days is what? A long time. Not as long as 40 years, but you're supposed to think that. When you read that, you go, oh, like the people in the wilderness. Yes. So he goes out for 40 days. He's tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts. And the angels come from heaven and wait on him. Other translations say ministered to him. Now, this is where we really ought to get a little uncomfortable, and that is that the same spirit that saves us also thrusts us out into ministry, into things that we consider wilderness, into things we don't want to choose, and things that we would not choose with otherwise. And so this is where the wonderful spirit who loves and saves and comforts and, and all the good stuff that we talk about in church all the time also sends us here. To the wilderness, where it's hard, 
and it's dry, and you'll die if God's not involved. And, and what comes to Jesus out in the wilderness? Lizards. Right? Jesus is hanging out with lizards. I love the way Fame Perkins writes this. She says, she, she spent much of her life studying the Gospel of Mark, and she says, Christ in the wilderness with the animals is the antitype of Adam in the garden. You catch that? Right? The wild animals suggest the dangers posed by the desert regions, but the enmity between humans and animals, wild animals, which was the consequence of Adam's fall, doesn't apply to Jesus because he's God himself. So when Jesus goes out in the desert, the wild animals come and hang out with them and take a nap. The leopards and the lizards. Jesus isn't afraid. He's God of all, even creation, even the animals. And so while other people would look at that and go, he's in the desert wilderness. Oh, no, he's done for. We know that's not the case because he's God of all, of every planet, of every animal, of every kingdom. No one expected that. Isn't that true? No one expected that. And here's the thing that we often miss, and you have to be really careful with this, so, so just hang in with me for a second. And that is this, that temptations are not meant to make us fall. They're meant to strengthen us. And I've, I've preached often that, you know, God doesn't tempt anyone beyond what they can handle. It's not God that tempts. I mean, there's lots to that. But in these hero stories, in these meta-narratives, um, if you're like me, I want you to think of it like this, right? Luke and Yoda right? There's always that time of testing when you're preparing for what's to come. And Luke needed to learn some things about his own dark side, right? And so he goes in the cave, and I hope this isn't a spoiler alert, but Darth Vader's his father, (laughs) right? And Luke didn't want to see that. He didn't want to know that. He had to be tested and tempted. And what would that mean? If he really was from the line of the worst person on all the planets, what would that mean for him? He had to test and work that through. It was unexpected. In the same way with Rocky and Apollo, I mean, if you're, if you're in that you know, series, you know that they haven't always been friends, right? So, so what's unexpected in these hero training moments is that people who used to be enemies are now trainers and, and friends, and they're working out together because I pity the fool who doesn't train before Mr. T, right? Come on, you got to go back and watch those. It's amazing. So here's the thing, you know, when you're thinking about Star Wars or whether you're thinking about Rocky or you're thinking about this story, um, I love the way Reverend Brandon says it. He says, don't let your expectations define Jesus. Let Jesus define your expectations. Because if we were looking at Rocky and Apollo, you would say, well, he's never going to have Apollo as a trainer. They're enemies. But God comes in and he flips it. He changes the script. And he'll do that for you, too, if you're open to it. The very things that all your friends say, oh, that'll never happen, that can never work. God says, yes, yes, by my spirit, everything turns. Now, it may have a time of testing, it may have a time of trial, it may be really difficult, but it's going to turn for you. Train. And that's the other thing we need to understand in the Christian life. It isn't that you get a little water on you and it's magic and now everything's great and groovy. No. Oftentimes it sends us into training for what God has for us. And sometimes that's very difficult. But then again, you have to decide again, don't you? The, the hero's journey begins. Jesus has to step into it. Now that he's trained, now that he's been identified, now that he's been prophesied about, he has to step into it. And, 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 and in every one of these stories, and it's true in your life too, you have to decide, when is this? For me, 
I was ordained the year my dad retired. And I knew that there was a marker in my life that it was time. That, that what God had called into our family was to continue. And I knew that was right. That was time. And so in the gospel it says this. John's arrested. John had been the primary voice for the people. And John's arrested. He's taken away by Rome. And Jesus knows this is it. So Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, the gospel. And John's arrest marked that it was time. And friends, if it's your time today, don't miss it. Don't miss your time. Because not all time is equal. It's just not. Friends, I I hate to admit this, but I often try to write checks, you know, uh, with my mind that my body cannot cash. I'm 51 now. The things I could do at 20, I simply can't do in the same way. I want to. I think I can. And then I injure myself. And that's how it works. You'll know it later. There are these times, these moments that you can only do now. You can't do it 20 years later, 30 years later. The moment comes, and it's time. Now, Jesus' words when he begins his ministry were not only unexpected, they were shocking. They were shocking. Jesus had the audacity to say this. He said, the time has come. This is what Jesus says. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. God himself has come near. Basically, you're looking at God. I am God. Repent and believe the good news. Turn your life. Now, what? You and I know that the kingdom of God is where what God wants done is done. Where the crooked places are made straight. Where that which is out of joint is healed and made whole. Where the... the, People who had nothing now have power to do things they hadn't done before. And this is a scene of a carpentry hand for 30 years calling for repentance, which is a return to God's way. And and you could almost hear the people like, what is he doing? Get him back in the shop. That's Joseph's boy. He has lost his mind. Isn't that Mary's boy? And I hear that was kind of suspect when it started anyway. And here he is telling us to repent, telling us to get in line. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? It was shocking. I mean, it's no wonder he got crucified. I mean, the things he was saying, only God could say. And we know he was God, but they didn't. Not at first, for sure. So our action steps today, friends, uh, are these. First of all, I want to invite you to read one chapter of Mark each day. For 16 days. It's only 16 chapters long. If you want to read it all this afternoon, you can read it in about 40 minutes out loud. It's very short. Um, But what you need to know about God, you can know in the Gospel of Mark. If you want to know more, look at Matthew or Luke. They kind of fill it out. But Mark's the first written. So you can do that. And if you do, um, here in about two weeks, um, I don't recommend this, but you could say to people around you, my New Year's resolution was to read the Gospel of Mark. And I did it. And I did it in less than a month. And pat yourself on the back. And then, you know, pray for forgiveness for being a religious jerk. Uh, but anyway, you could. You could consider it. I recommend it to you. And then secondly, I want to invite you to make a decision today, this day, this time, to be baptized. If you've never been baptized before, um, we want to invite you to do that. Uh, we baptize by sprinkling. Um, because as you can tell in the desert regions, there wasn't a lot of water. Um, and certainly where Paul was going in the early church, we know that Paul would baptize the dad, the mom, the kids, the slaves, anybody that was in the household. And so, um, they would often just sprinkle. 
Um, in the ancient tradition, you have to have three drops of water. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's a legitimate baptized shared by Roman Catholics, Orthodox, Methodists, Episcopals, Presbyterians. Um, lots of folks in the mainline tradition. But here's the thing. It is God's act. You can't mess it up. You can't mess it up. So it's not about how learned you are. It's not about how smart you are. It's not about how much of the Bible you know. It's not even about how much you want it. It's about God. It's an outward invisible sign of the reality that God has chosen you to be one of his kids. And if that's you today and you haven't ever done that, we want to offer that to you today. Uh, we don't have anybody lined up for this service. We had two folks baptized on Friday. We've got five more at the late service uh, to be baptized. So it's, it's a wonderful day of baptism here. But if that's you, we want you to know that we would love to baptize you today. And if you've already been baptized um, during the time of communion, I'll come down front and I'll have the little bowl uh, that I grew up with when I was a kid um, and offer you the opportunity to remember your baptism. It's not rebaptism; We don't do that um, because God got it right. And you can't mess up what God has done in Christ for you. That's, now, you can say no to it, but you can't undo it. Does that make sense? There's a difference there. We'll talk later. It's a big concept. Okay? But we want you to know, if you're here today and you want to say yes to Jesus, you can do that either through baptism, by reaffirmation of your baptism, or by receiving communion. Because that's what our sacraments mean, that God has come to us. That you might be renewed and empowered in Christ. Will you pray with this prayer with me? Loving God, prepare us to receive you today again, or for the very first time. Identify us with your son, Jesus Christ. Help us say yes to you and your way of life. Thank you for choosing us and coming to us in Jesus. Send your Holy Spirit from heaven to the water and the wine we are about to receive and to our hearts. Wash away our sins this day and equip us to serve others. Train us in righteousness and empower us to work with you for the transformation of the world. Today, let us remember our baptism and be thankful. Lord God, this is our prayer, that we would start 2019 with you, washed anew, made right with you, empowered by you, identified by you. Let us step into this time by the calling you've placed on our lives this day. In Jesus' name, who taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.